to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Man, we are really blessed. Uh, I'm not a great encourager, but man, I, I don't get to encourage Brad enough. But man, does he have some pipes or, or what? Like this, this echoey room. Um, this guy could be like on YouTube or something, have his own YouTube channel, but he chooses to be here with us. He's been on some big bands before and stuff, but like here, here he is just, when he steps back from that mic, you know, he's just about to just go off. And so, uh, we have a great blessing of having him lead. So Brad, we thank you for your heart. I also feel like that if we got in a fight with worship leaders, do you feel like that we would be all right? Like we could just like, Hey, here's, here's Brad. Like Brad, just step up. And so uh, that, that's also nice to have in a worship leader. It's an important factor that you want to look for. Um, we're going to be looking at this idea of renewal. Um, and so uh, when I was in uh, ninth grade, I remember um, uh, they had just switched over all that time beforehand. They had built a new high school. And all that time beforehand, eighth and ninth were together. And that was kind of the junior high. And then 10th through 12th was the high school. Built this new high school. And then they switched it over for ninth graders had to be in with the 10th, 11th, 12th. And so, you know, when you get past that stage, you don't really think of it. But when, like, you're in those seventh and eighth and ninth grade, you're, you're kind of like, that, that concerns you, right? Because you've heard, heard these stories and this folklore about, you know, this guy who's a senior or this guy that did this and this guy did this. And so all these different things. And so um, there was a little bit of folklore about a guy. His name was Doug Bethel. And so his brother, Scott Bethel, the, Bethel there was three brothers, uh, Jason, Scott, and uh, Doug. And Scott Bethel uh, was one of my best friends, kind of grew up in our house. And so those three guys, were um, uh, good friends of mine, but Doug, his older brother, was real quiet, but he benched over 400, and so I think he benched his senior 405 or 410 pounds. He was probably about 5'9". He ran probably about a 4'5", 40, and so his chest was huge. His legs were mammoth. I, I don't know, I don't remember what he squatted. And so ninth grade, it's some practice. It's not full pads yet. And so we've got these little shields. So the shields, what you're supposed to do with those is, you know, you kind of run through the play, but you don't like fully tackle. So you just kind of step up. And like when you hit them, you know, like oh, the play's dead, then you're supposed to do that. You know, a couple guys convene on somebody. And so Doug's next thing I know is we're in this practice after the first three days and Doug's over to my right as a senior, you know, probably 220 pound guy benching 405. I'm tall and lanky probably like 160 pounds, and I'm over beside him. And so they run the ball over to this side. And so Doug was over here to the other side, and they, they showed us beforehand, like, hey, listen, if they come, if the guards turn down, or if the guard uh, pulls, you're going to follow him. But if the guard turns down, you've got to fill that hole just quickly, real quickly. So they showed us that. So they even walk you through the steps. If you see this guard double team this nose guard, there's a big hole there. That means the ball's coming right there. So you have to fill that hole right then. So I'm like, okay, okay. So they walked us through it, showed it to us. We get set up, you know, and then a couple of plays later, sure enough, I see that happen. The guard turns down and I take a couple of steps. And the next thing I know, a freight train coming full speed with about four steps run, just 
nails me. I go flying into the crowd. We don't have full pads on, just helmets. And it felt like a freight train. I mean, there's snot on my face when I got up and I, I was looking around and it was Doug and he was, he was ticked off at me. Like, I was like, you not only hit me and I flew into five guys, you killed both the fullback and that guy. And he's like, get out of the way, freshman. And I was like, golly. And so, uh, I thought, man, I want to be like that one day. And so, of course, now the next few plays, I'm not even thinking about what the offense is doing. All I'm doing is watching out for Doug. I'm, I'm like looking up and just seeing where Doug's going to stay out of his way. And so they had showed us exactly what to do in that play. Fast forward some years later, and um, I am coaching, you know, uh, little kids football and stuff. And what's amazing, if you've helped out, and this applies in teaching, just raising children or anything, any kind of coaching or teaching, um, you tell them, here's what I want you to do. And you kind of emulate it for them. Here, you tell them first, and then you kind of show them an example for them. And then you step back and try to let them do that. You can, you can do that with them, and then they try it. And if you've ever noticed, they don't get close to it. Like you can tell people to do something, and then they try it, and it's like 99% improvement needed. So if your kids, just letting you know that, that that's what's going on, uh, adults are being patient with you, but um, a lot of times that's what's happened. We think that we're nailing it, we think we're doing it just like we were told and just like we were exampled, but really, in reality, we're far from that. We're, we're not really nailing it. We're not really doing as good as what we thought. And so this is this process that God has us in in sanctification. This is the reason that God knew you're going to need constant renewal. You're going to need constant changing and transforming and changing and transforming. And so that's what we're looking at at this posture um, that we've got this, this week. And so... Um, if you remember, um, as we've gone through these um, different postures, every, every week we've tried to look at a different kind of response, and that's based on who God is in the Bible and what God has accomplished for us, the work that he's accomplished specifically in Christ for us. And so we want to be able to um, learn that process. Um, um, the beauty of all these postures, if you notice, um, they lead us not to an end in themselves. So if, if we said, you know, humility, the end goal is not humility. Humility is the pipeline that takes you to what? To God himself. Um, if we said, hey, conviction, conviction is not the, the end goal. Like I just want to constantly be convicted. You know, we've taught through this. We saw some Psalms on this. We saw in the New Testament, conviction from the Holy Spirit. That's not the end goal. It, it's the, the, the pathway, a convicted heart is a softened heart instead of a hardened heart that leads you to what? What's the end result? You get God, God himself. The end goal is God himself. So when we look at um, being convicted, when we look at um, the idea of confessing and admitting to God our sin, that, that's not an end in itself. We don't just stop there. We, we end up in God's arms. So all of these postures lead to the end goal of God himself. And then as well as you look in the, in the New Testament, um, in the Old Testament, that's what the prophets were supposed to be doing. They were helping to get people back to God. Um, the same thing in the New Testament, the, the famous story of, of Peter walking on water. What was the end result of that? He, he takes a step of faith, but he, he learns, I can't do this on my own. And where does he end up? Just in the arms of Jesus. So all of these things, all these postures are not an end in themselves. They're supposed to lead us to God's heart. And the reason that's important, if you step back and realize God is actually the author, God is the one wanting to show us in the Bible repeatedly, you're going to need me. 
You're going to need me and you're going to participate with me. You can't do this on your own. This is about your own self-will. This isn't about you um, just, just being stronger or better or being the best Christian you can be. You're going to need me. So from God's heart, from his perspective, um, there is something significant and satisfying, if we can get there, about being found in him. Now, again, as Americans, we tend to pull up our bootstraps and we're, we're really driven, we're really focused, we're really smart, we're really capable, we're really able, and we try to do all these things on our own. And so and the churches even actually teach that. Drop your habits, drop, you know, drop these, these habits to pick up these habits. It's all up to your willpower. You go be stronger. You white knuckle it and you can be strong enough. You be this, you be that. There is elements of our obedience. That's, that's obvious, a given, but, but it's dependent upon the Spirit and, and God providing that for us. And we get Him in the middle of that. So um, what I want you to consider as we, we're going forward out of this, into this fall even, are you putting yourself in the right position to be walking in the right posture before God? So all of these intentional things, we, we've belabored the point on these aspects um, uh, of conviction, of agreement or confession of sin, of then repenting, turning from sin. And then it leads to this week's renewal. And we've already talked about previously rest, what resting in Christ looks like, and then also what rejoicing looks like. And so that leads to greater worship. So are you putting yourself in the right position? Do you have times, rhythms in your schedule where you're pausing to ask the Holy Spirit, are there some sins that I'm just looking looking over and not even... Um, uh, dealing with? Are there other sins that are, that are unconfessed? Are you putting yourself also in the right environment um, that enables the right posture? So if, if you're surrounded by people that are just living for the world and just pursuing, pursuing, pursuing all the worldly things, your heart is going to be in tune with that. And you're not taking rhythms to be in an environment of people who are saying, man, I, I need more of the Lord. Man, here, here's some things that I, I need to uh, be honest about. In our group for the last two or three weeks in the group over the summer, um, we, we talked about this aspect of it, it's not a real um, valued place in our society to have confession of sin. We're just not really good at confessing sin or in the workplace. Like you, you don't just see, you know, like people just kind of don't open up and go like, man, I just feel like I'm really um, been short and angry with my wife. I've been really frustrated and angry with my husband. Like a lot of people just don't open up about that. That's kind of a weird thing because people say, how are you doing? You just go, well, doing great, doing great, doing great. Um, instead of a, a place where there is a, 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 an environment that values, man, I, I'm not strong. I, I'm trying my hardest and I, I feel like I'm not meeting up with the standard. And so the flip side is, so some churches would say, so, well, hey, Christian, just memorize this verse. Well, hey, Christian, just be better. No, that's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying, you're exactly right. You weren't even geared or wired to be able to do this. You can't do it on your own. Um, we've talked with friends in here, and then a lot of parents around us that don't even go to sojourn that have said, man, you know what there's no environment for? There's no environment for parents to be honest about their concerns about their kids, whether it's younger kids below 10 or especially kids 12 to 18. Like, we're concerned about how they're doing. Because if your kid makes a mistake, and it gets in any kind of trouble at all. And I can, I can talk just like a D or an F or a, a C for some people. Um, or, or if they get in trouble for this, they, they, they got caught out late um, at, at our place. You know, if their shirt's untucked and you get detention for that, like there's no, there's no place to even admit those things, you know? And so um, there's no place to go, hey, we're trying all we can. 
Because if you say, oh, here, I'm worried about our, our child because they're doing this in school, there's a lot of people in the church that just go, yeah, you're a horrible parent. You should be more spiritual like us. And really, a lot of times, it's just covering things up. And so well, the church should be the place where we're, we're living out these, these aspects of, uh, of conviction of sin and confession of sin, those things. And so if these postures and rhythms are, uh, are, are really where we need to be, that, that, that's the union in Christ. Everything flows out of our union with Christ. We're participating with Christ in this. It's not us doing it on our own. We were saved back at this date over here, and now it's up to you for the next 99% for you to do it on your own strength. And so um, if that's true, these rhythms, if they work and they lead us into the arms of Christ, if these are musts, um, that's what leads to maturity. Are you maturing? Are you growing? Everything else in life, you're, you're, you're watching. Your you're, you're financials, your you're, um, goals in life, your career, your children. You're, you're measuring and assessing. But a lot of times in our spiritual life, we're not even assessing those things. Um, is there spiritual growth? Is there transformation going on? Here, here's what this allows for. This, this manifests itself in defeating sin. It manifests itself in changed habits. I've got my clicker, so we're doing this. Um, so yeah, changed habits, changed actions. Changed attitudes, transformed thoughts, and transformed living. If we were to agree all these are must-haves, then this posture of renewal or transformation is central. I'm going to use those words interchangeably. Um, tra uh, transformation and renewal. Just talking about uh, spiritual renewal. Um, so based off of that question, how does this renewal and transformation take place. So when you think about this, uh, this aspect of um, spiritual renewal, there's a guy named Richard Lovelace, um, Lovelace, and he, he's, a, he's a great theologian, impacted lots of people. Um, he said this about this idea of spiritual renewal and our union in Christ being where everything flows out of. When the full dimensions of God's gracious provision in Christ, so think about that, that little phrase, the full dimensions of God's gracious um, provision in Christ are not clearly articulated in the church, faith cannot apprehend them. So people are not going to be able to catch a hold of what we're supposed to be doing and by faith, by faith, not your own strength, move towards that. Um, and the life of the church will suffer distortion and attenuation. So that, that's a reduction of the force that it's having. Attenuation is it, you're, it's reducing the force and the impact that you're having on culture or on your own life, in fact. Um, he says... Uh, so, so, so I want you to think through that. If that's true, if churches aren't articulating, here's the process that God takes you through, so then what is it that the church does when a country starts to go through spiritual decline? So I've said for 18 months, everyone's saying, and I've got you remember through Harbor Network, our church planting network, it's not just like we're not just focused on 61st in Peoria, we're not just focused on Tulsa, we're a churchy city, but I've got these friends in Seattle and L.A. and, and New York and, and Albany and Florida and so and Chicago, all these different places, and I'm listening to their stories, and they're saying, man, there's a huge decline. And I'm looking in our own Bible Belt area, and, and, and then, then, then to see that um, over 40 to 50 million, this is like come out two or three weeks ago, new research, new studies, some really solid studies, 40 to 50 million people that were in the church in 2015 or 2010 are now out of the church, just went Hey, through COVID or through some other things, we just decided, you know, it's just not fit. And man, there's, there's lots of reasons for that. Lots of things. But, but this guy, Loveless, is saying, hey, if the church isn't teaching and articulating the things that really matter for spiritual growth, we're in a bad place. 
And so if we're not focused on the gospel, we're in a bad place. If it's, if it's just a challenge, and by the way, we love these challenges. If it's just a challenge for you to go get it, for you to do more, you go be more, you can do it on your own. We love that. Because, man, if you're that type A driven person, you can go do it. And now, now you're, it's a false sense of pride. You don't realize it. You're just pointing people to more pride, 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 instead of, no, no, no. You need to be at the foot of the cross in humility. Sure, you, you've got to work hard. Sure, you've got to give tons of effort. Sure, you've got to try to have a plan and try to hold your kids accountable and try to hold your life. You have to do that. Those are the givens, but it's not reliant on you. I mean, that doesn't grow churches. Like no one wants to talk about humility, brokenness, sin, and that you're dependent on this beautiful God. So um, he, he goes on to say uh, the individual Christian life, I think I hit that one too. The individual Christian and the church as a whole are alive in Christ. And when any essential dimensions of what it means to be in Christ are obscured in the church's understanding, there is no guarantee that the people of God will strive toward and experience fullness of life. How many people inside the church in the last five to 10 years ago, man, I, I'm just not experiencing the fullness. Jesus said, I've come that, have, that a thief would come to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that have life and life abundantly. And a lot of people, 40, 50 million go, wasn't very abundant life. But my lake house and my boat, that's nice. The new golf membership, that's nice. That's abundant life. Our travel, our availability for all those things, that's nice. And th that's nice. Those things aren't evil. It's evil if that becomes the center part and you've marginalized God off. Taking a beautiful trip, having a, a lake house, having those things. But if it, it marginalizes, those things aren't evil. But, but if it is, I don't have time for the people of God, and I'm never hearing and putting myself in position to where other people are challenging me, encouraging me, if I'm not hearing the gospel and responding to it, now we've got an idol, we've got a problem. And you're not putting yourself in the position for those things to be constantly challenged. So um, Loveless nails it. Individuals and churches will not strive towards that process. They will, they will look at the wrong approach and the wrong process. The full dimensions of God's gracious provision of Christ. So when we look at that, um, we have this idea of it's not about us going and doing it on our own. It, it's participating with the Spirit through those things. Um, so think through this. Why do you sin? Do you sin because you don't know the rules? Here comes the temptation, Monday maybe Sunday afternoon, here comes the temptation. Is it because you don't know the rule? Probably not, right? It's not that you don't know the rule. Is it because you don't love God enough? Probably not, right? It, you, you do love God. Sure, you can always grow in your love towards the Lord. Is it because Satan is too strong? Well, if you're truly a believer at the cross, and at the resurrection, you were freed from the power of sin. So it doesn't control you like it used to. You're freed from that, right? Um, a, lot of, a lot of our thinking goes to this because your will's just not strong enough yet. So the future you, one of these days, you're going to be better and God will then accept you. The future you will finally be better. That, that's, a, that's a powerful mindset. Maybe it's just because indwelling sin is too strong. It just overpowered you. So all of those are false. But yet, that's the mindset that most of us have. So, so think through if it's, if it's that not we don't know the rules enough. So what would churches, if we go with that mindset, that's why our people are sinning. Uh, you don't know the rules enough. So what would the, the pastor preach? More rules, more lists. 
If we're godly, here's how our family looks. Have you seen mine? If we're godly, here's how we dress. If we're godly, here's how we talk. If if we're godly, here's what the woman does, here's what the husband does. If we're godly, here's the way we educate our children. If we're godly, do you get that? And we want to hear that. We want churches to fill us up with that. You know know what's crazy about that? What's scary about that? They will use scripture, and that can look like a really solid church, and it's 2 Timothy 4. In the end, people are going to turn from the truth of the gospel. They're going to raise up leaders for themselves that tell them what their itching ears want to hear. My family, we dress this way. Church body, y'all should dress this way. Church conformity. It's huge in legalistic, trending type places. It's not the gospel. How about if, so that, that's if, 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 if we don't know the rules, pastors will try to preach more rules, more morals, more morals, more morals. Like Brad said last week, the Bible has beautiful morals, but it's all found in Christ. So it's not about how, how strict your rules are. If it's because you don't love God enough, some of you have been in this church, more guilt, more shame, can't believe you people aren't serving more. Can't believe you people aren't giving more. You just need to do this more. You need to do this more. You need to do this more. Guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. Why? Because you don't love God enough. You don't love God enough, you pitiful people. Is that the gospel? The third one there, because your will is not strong enough. The future you is what God, what God will accept. What does that say about Jesus? Your, your, your acceptance and approval is based on Christ. He wasn't quite good enough. He, he was like the 85 percentile. He's like an injured Patrick Mahomes. You, know, you, you come in stronger than Patrick Mahomes. Like, I, I'll do what Patrick can't do, right? That's ridiculous. Um, what about because Satan's too strong? We got those churches in Tulsa, don't we? Man, they're, they're just swinging at demons, just closing their eyes. They're constantly like, hey, church, here, here's spiritual attack. I stumped my toe. Oh, hey, well, there's some demons out here. Everyone come down here. Let's fall out in the spirit. Let's do some crazy stuff. Get our feelings hopped up. Woo, like all these things. And so now we've got this super uh, frenzied supernatural stuff going on. And so that's what comes out if, if, if you drop the gospel in that. So Psalm 32 is a beautiful place to go. Hey, this is where it starts. It starts with being forgiven. It starts with the gospel itself. So I've got some um, um, uh, scriptures that we're going to go through here in Psalm 32, if you'll read with me. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. That means to pause. Think through what he just said. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Salah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me and preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Salah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. 
Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that this was not a game where you put us on the playing field and then you wanted to sit back and see which ones could win. Or a game where you set us on the playing field and you, you stepped back and folded your arms and then it was all dependent upon how strong we were, how, how faithful we were, how good we were, how righteous we were. But instead, it's just the opposite, that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, flowing from that stream of life, flowing from that abundant life of being in Christ, the union with Christ. That's where we get our peace. That's where we get our rest. That's where we are transformed. And so, Father, would you help us to see even what David could not even imagine in the beautiful picture of your son coming and dying in our place and, and uh, being resurrected in our place? Would you help us to embrace this idea? Would you help us to understand and, and desire spiritual renewal and transformation um, that is found in the powerful work that you've done for us? In your name we pray. Amen. So, um, in this, this picture of Psalm 32 here, um, um, we, we look at the reality that there's, um, there's a, um, two different states. I want to I clarify at the first, of when I talk about spiritual renewal, you've got to understand that there's two different facets or two different types. The first one is what we would look at as I got saved or salvation, right? That's when you have accepted the Lord's salvation for yourself, that you are stamped justified at that point, right? And so that's justification. That is uh, faith in Christ alone. That is when you got saved. That's what um, we talk about spiritual renewal. So there's some people in the crowd today, even our small crowd, that have not been saved yet. So they have not accepted the first spiritual renewal. This is what Jesus talks about with Nicodemus in um, John 3 there, when he says, you know, you're a teacher of the law, but you yet must be born from above, born of the Spirit. And so that's the and confusing thing for Nicodemus. How would a person be born again? Um, would, would he enter into his mother again and be born again? No, Jesus said, how are you a teacher of the law and you don't even understand this? It's being born of the Spirit. And so Ezekiel 36 makes that very clear that the Spirit comes to these dead souls and breathes new life into us. And that's, that's when regeneration justification happens when that person receives it. So that's the first aspect of spiritual renewal. But then after that, um, you have spiritual renewal and transformation that happens in sanctification. So if the first one is justification, a one-time thing, justification is a one-time um, situation where you've received the benefits of Christ's atonement. Uh, sanctification is an ongoing thing. Many times a day, many times a week, many times in, in a year, many times in a lifetime. It's an ongoing work. So I just wanted to kind of get that out there. And so in this first um, aspect of, of, of the, first, the first couple of verses there, um, David interestingly throws out there, the, David doesn't often do this all the time, but he throws out kind of a summary and kind of a, uh, um, the, 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 what we call it the spoiler at the end. Usually a lot of the Psalms, they build and build. It starts out kind of like, Lord, where are you? Things are so miserable. My foes are trying to kill me. And then he goes to the end like, but when I turn to you, Lord, you have always saved me. You've always revived me, right? So a lot of Psalms kind of go through that process. This one is a little bit different. He puts the, um, the, the summary at the beginning and then, and then he builds off of that. So you can do that either way. Um, so he says there, um, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So notice there are these three different words that David uses for sins. 
Um, this is important for us, not only if you're unsaved, you need to understand this, but if you're a Christian to think through, he uses three different terms there. So a transgression is, is when you've crossed over a line, a purposeful step over the line. I defy your authority. Hey, I, I, I'm not going to listen. I, I, I know what the, the rule is. So remember we said earlier, is it because we don't know the rule? No, we usually know the rule. There are times when we may not know that we're sinning, um, like loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Anyone want to say at the end of every day, like, I nailed it completely, 120%. So there's areas that we probably don't do that completely, right? But there are other times when there's a transgression. It's a line in the sand um, in God's moral character, his holiness, that we transgress, we step over the line, we defy his authority. You shut up and sit down, God. I'm going to choose to do this. I'm going to enjoy this sin. I'll do whatever I want. And then I'll step back over here and be okay. I'll let you know when I need you. Now, we don't think through that process. I hope that that helps you if, if that's what you're doing in transgressing, because that's what we're doing every time we sin. We're playing God. You shut up and sit down. I'll play God for a while. I'll let you know when you become important again. That's not a really good God, right? That, that's you being God. And so that's transgression. And then um, the second one is just sin. That's missing the mark. That, that word in the Greek there is just missing the mark. And then the other one is the, this word for iniquity. That's a crookedness, a deceitful crookedness. And that's what iniquity is. So David throws out there, here's these three different ways we sin, but notice the beauty. He also throws out, here's the way that God overcomes and, and brings mercy to all three of those different types of sin. He says, um, the one who transgresses is forgiven. The one who, um, whose sin is covered the one whose iniquities are not counted against them. Why? Why would my crookedness and my sin not be counted against me? Why meet me transgressing? He treats Jesus as the one who stepped over the line. He treats Jesus and, and, and uh, imputes our sin onto him, and he takes our wrath, and he says, you can go free now as Jesus has taken the punishment and the wrath for your sins, for all those transgressions, all those sins, all those iniquities. He has all of that built up in that idea of that's what forgiveness is. And notice he says, Salah. Pause and think through that, that, that whole picture, those things. Those whose iniquity is not counted against them, and in those whose spirit there is no deceit. What's the whole idea if you're not going to be convicted by the Lord? Either you're deceived in your own mind or you think you're deceiving God. No, I, I, it's, it's okay that I do this. Whose spirit is going, I, I don't want to play deception. I'm fooling all these people. I'm, I'm making myself look this way, but yet I'm doing all these other things. So there's deceit. Whose spirit, it's not in deceit and lying. And instead, it, you're accounted as righteous because of Christ. Not your own work, because of Christ's work of perfect holiness. Never breaking a rule, never breaking anything of God's law. So um, some beautiful pictures there that he has. Um, can you imagine the freedom that comes in that new identity? So if you're a person who's just really tightly wound and you really try hard and you're type A and you're so, so driven, that can be exhausting. Can you imagine the freedom? Not freedom like, oh, I, I, so I, I guess I can just go sin now? No, the freedom of looking to Christ for your righteousness instead of you trying to either pretend or perform for God and for others. The freedom of going, I want others to know that I'm a failure. And it doesn't give you the right to go fail, like just go crash in people's car. Like I told you guys, I was going to fail. I, I did a, you know, a drive away. I just hit this car, just backed up. I got in front of my kids and started screaming cuss words at them, or I got in and just started looking at some huge inappropriate stuff, or I, I left my wife and found this other person. 
I told you I was going to fail. Not that kind of stuff, but to go, hey, I wish others would have grace for me because Jesus does and God does. What if it was an environment where we had that type of grace in, in the middle of that, where people are, are not worried about being honest about where they're at? It's just not usually the, the type of place where people come to church. So that freedom and that new identity, realizing that Jesus has the approval and acceptance for you a, a thousand percent. You don't have to worry about earning approval or acceptance. Can you imagine the enjoyment of living in that? Um, Tyler talked about that in the sermon a few weeks back on confessing, agreeing with God. Where we're just saying, hey, in Psalm 51, I know I did this, Lord. I know it was my sin. I confess that to you. And we're just not a place where, where we, we, we really are comfortable doing that with people. Um, many times when we talk with parents, uh, they may start talking about their kid. Oh, my son did this or my daughter did this. And so sometimes I know because I'm, I'm not real popular because I'm a pastor. Uh, or I, you know, they may treat me nice, but you know, I'm not invited to a lot of hangouts and stuff. And I know they're probably like, oh, you know, we never know what's going to happen. So let's not invite the pastor. But if I'm standing there talking to them, they'll be like, I'll be like yeah, our kid did this. And I'll usually say, yeah, man, I, I expect our boys to make mistakes. And they, they, they had this like taken back, like, what kind of foul, evil pastor are you? What are they wanting? They're wanting pastors to do what pastors are supposed to do, right? I'm perfect. My family's perfect. You guys should have perfect families like ours. And so Jamie and I have just not played that game. And man, in our first church, that just didn't sit well. Like people wanted it to look this way, church conformity. Everyone does this the same thing. And, and again, we're not saying, no, oh, no, hey, let's jump off the boat and get in sin. No, we're just saying we know we're going to sin. And people in the church do not like that. Shh, guess what? God knows you're going to sin. Does it mean he, it's okay? Read the book of Romans. You, you never get to that place of going like, oh, so it's okay for me to sin. No, but God knows. Stop playing peekaboo and hide, thinking that you're, you know, he's not going to see what you're doing. You know, he, he's not going to see it. I'm fooling myself. You're being deceived. You're, you're, that's not standing in, in Christ's righteousness. Man, I've blown it and blown it, and yet you still forgive me. You still love me. Um, so we see that. But, but notice after, after these, those beautiful parts of the first, he goes into what about when we don't have that assurance? We don't have that confessed sin. He goes into the overwhelming despair of unconfessed and unrepentant sin. And look at verses in three and four there. Um, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Some of you have probably been there. I've been there lots of times. When you feel like, Either it is some sin and God's allowing me to go this, this just separation and intimacy with God. Or God is wanting me to grow and we can't keep doing the ABCs with God. He wants me to be mature and, and pursue him more, to strive more after him, to put a little bit more uh, spiritual effort in. He sees me putting effort and killing it passionately for our finances, for our success, for our lifestyle, for our, our, my family's uh, uh, the image, all those things, and, and all these possessions. But like spiritually, man, I'm, I'm just laid back in a recliner, not doing anything. So God will put some distance there to, to start a fire in us. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Um. Some of you have been there. And so David's saying, that's the result. When it's unconfessed, you're, you're keeping all that silent. Instead of the, what we've talked about, about, man, I'm, I'm openly convicted by sin, like Tyler talked about in Psalm 51, I, I admit that, not only to God, but to others. 
Um, and there's appropriateness. I'm not saying that, you know, if you're in full-fledged, you know, um, running uh, horrible websites and stealing money from your place and cheating on your wife that, you know, Wednesday night at group, like the first five minutes, like, well, hey guys, uh, thank you talking about confessing sin. I mean, that may be fitting. That may be where the Lord leads you. There may be a, a better setting where it's getting with a couple of guys going, guys, I'm really in some bad stuff. I need some help. And, and we've walked tons of people for weeks and months and years through those things. Uh, so there's, there's a right way of doing that, right? And so uh, just thinking through, are we, are we in an environment where that's there? And David is saying, um, that's, if that's missing, that's a dangerous place to be. In that next section, to overcome those places of silence, when we're not confessing, when we're not um, convicted by our sin, he has the overcoming grace and mercy of God. Look at verse 5 there and look at these different words that he has up there. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess, confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Salah. Think through that. So in 2 Corinthians 3, um, at the end there, it's a beautiful section, 2 Corinthians 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, build up to that, uh, the, the famous point in 2 Corinthians 7, uh, there where um, he gets a really clear gospel picture that um, for our sake, in 7.21, uh, is for our sake, um, he, um, he, he put on the sin, uh, the, the one who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that beautiful picture there that he builds, this is your new identity at the first of chapter seven. And then if you go all the way back to three, it starts in this picture there. He was addressing stuff in 2 Corinthians uh, chapters one and two. And then in part three, he turns to this, hey, Moses' way didn't work with, his, with the veil and the holiness of the Lord. And so he goes, now all of us with unveiled face gazing at the, the glory of the Lord, by, by gazing at the gospel, by gazing at the glory of Jesus Christ, that's how we're transformed. I wanted to be like Doug Bethel. I needed to get behind Doug and, and get with Doug and do what Doug Bethel does. I, I, don't, I can't, as a ninth grade, stumbling, scrawny, 160-pounder, do the same thing that Doug Bethel does there, Right? I needed Doug to walk me through. Doug wasn't open to that. Jesus is open to this. Hey, I need to battle these sins. A scrawny 150-pound person trying to um, you know, go through in life and trying to take on all these spiritual battles on your own strength is never going to work. You need to be participating in the Spirit, in Christ, walking with the Spirit. And in that, now, hey, here's temptation coming. Hey, am I strong enough on my own? Or, hey, I know this would, would not be glorifying to you right now, but God, you're invisible. I can't see you, touch you. It seems like I could probably do this sin and get away with it because there's going to be no immediate consequences, but it says that you're more worthy. You're more treasurable. Will you help me right now? I don't want to do, uh, I don't want to follow you. I want to follow this sin. It seems like it would be more pleasurable. That The Bible says that's a lie. Spirit, will you change me to where I believe the truth instead of a lie right now? This thing is not going to satisfy I keep going around this loop over and over of trying to find satisfaction in these things, and they're not satisfying. But the Spirit says, walk with me in that, and I will, I will change your heart. Gazing at Christ, you are being transformed. That's what he's bringing out there. Look in verses, verse 5 there. I acknowledge my sin to you. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, that's a beautiful picture. It cost him. So now with God... This redemptive plan of God, this is the whole plan of the Trinity. Uh, so God the Father, he purposed the plan. 
Jesus submitted himself in humility to the plan of God for salvation, and then the Holy Spirit applied that, brought us to understanding of that. Um, So the coexistence of these two seemingly unimaginable truths. Number one, we are unimaginably more sinful than we would like to admit. We're, We're unimaginably more sinful than we would ever like to admit. Yet, at the same time, you are more loved than you could ever fathom. So much so that, that God took his son and had him slaughtered in our place and then gave us his righteousness. So that double substitution is there. So here's how it works out. You're a mess. You're aware of some of it. But man, I love you so much. God says, if you could only see what I really know about you, the levels of depravity and wickedness that are in your heart that would leap out in an instant if put in the right situations and circumstances, you would turn on me in a moment, repeatedly. Yet, I love you so much. You seem to be falling repeatedly for these stupid, unfulfilling secret sins. But in response to that, I'm going to slaughter my son on your behalf. Beyond your arrogant, prideful attempts at your own proud righteousness, which are beyond filthy rags in my economy, they're worth nothing, they're disgusting, you are weak and insecure and so focused on greedy gain. And yeah, you help out in little bit ways and you try with tiny bits of pursuit but we know your constant selfish fears. But I'm going to keep on and keep on and keep on pursuing you and pouring out my grace and mercy on you. Here's your response. Rejected love, I'm going to continue to pursue you. Continue uh, this, this path of um, righteousness that I'm laying out before. I'm going to continue to forgive. I'm going to continue to provide righteousness. And all of that, it's just this ongoing picture. God knows that it's going to be a weekly episode of rejected love on our part, taking him for granted and marginalizing him, but yet he pours out love and grace on us. Just an uh, unbelievable thing. It's unfathomable. That's why we sang that first song that that we sang there. It it seems like this would be crazy for God to do this. It it doesn't make sense for him to keep on pouring out and pouring out. It would seem reckless. It would seem foolish. It would seem ignorant of God to keep pursuing when we're just going to reject and sin and reject and sin, and yet that's exactly what he's done. And yet he still provides and wants to provide spiritual renewal. Pride tells us, this time, I'm going to beat this. This time, you don't even know, God. I know I fall on this 10 times before. I keep falling into this. But this time, God, you don't even know how strong I'm going to be. This time, I really, really mean it this time. I'm going to really, really do it. I'm going to have stronger self-will. I've learned I'm going to be better. How many times have you told yourself that? Because here's the reality of, of that. If you can do that, you don't need a Savior. If you can do it by your own self-will, you don't need a Savior. If you can do that, you'll never learn to walk in ongoing, perpetual desire for conviction and confession and repentance and renewal through that process. You'll never do it. You'll do it through your old teachings in the other churches of 
keep more lists. You just need more lists. You need more lists. Or guilt and shame. Guilt and shame, you're never good enough. Never good enough. You don't love God more. Or the, the, the famous one that's real big in our day is the God ordained. If you can just get rid of those bad habits and now put these good habits in, hey, that grows churches, by the way. If you can, if everyone wants to, to feel that I'm really successful in this, this leadership guru type Christianity. If you just do those things, all of those miss the gospel. All of those miss Christ in humility on the cross. If you can do that, you never learn to walk in those type of convictions. Um, he, he ends there with um, God's faithfulness. He says, uh, everyone who's godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. That's kind of a sobering thought there. Remember I taught through, when we talked about conviction that um, there are people who are convicted by the Lord and they don't turn and repent. They keep their heart in pursuing their sin. They can die in that. And it proves that they're not a true believer. Proves that they're, they're not following Christ. They never were in Christ, right? It's not that you can lose your salvation. And so he says there, it's a harrowing thought that um, uh, to be afraid of, to think through, man, I can't keep hardening my heart and hardening my heart and not listening and not changing. You must pray and ask for this forgiveness while it's available. And the lie in country music and in our thinking sometimes is that, hey, I'm just going to kind of do my own thing and have my own fun and I just want to pursue my own way. I know I'm going to turn around one of these days. God, we've got an understanding. It's okay for me to go and sin and defy you and live as, as if I'm the God, but in the future, I'm, I'm going to turn to you one of these days. And David's going, man, don't do that. That's a dangerous place to be. No one knows how far sin is going to take them. And then in verse 8 and 9, he brings up this care and guidance and convicting work. So David goes into the prophetic voice of God there. Instead of David writing, it's as if God is writing it, saying to David, but then to also the crowd of Israel there, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be like this horse or mule that, that, that has to have this constant bit that's always kind of having to do that. Man, have a heart that's softened. Have a heart that's not hardened. Learn from me, walk with me. And it leads to this ongoing renewal that is mercy and enjoyment and righteousness. Look at those words there in verse 11. He contrasts it in verse 10 that the wicked and the righteous, um, but the people that follow Christ know that it's not based on your own righteousness. It's always based on Christ and his righteousness, the forgiveness he provides and the righteousness he provides. And then verse 11 is the summary there. Notice these words, be glad. So you see gladness. And rejoice, O righteous. So there's gladness, there's joy, there's rejoicing. Why? Because you are declared righteous. You're pronounced as righteous. And everyone in here knows that it's not your own righteousness. It's what Christ has provided. He says, shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Think through what we've just talked about, those, those aspects of conviction. The person who lives in that, I'm convicted by the Spirit and I'm growing because I'm repenting. I'm confessing that to God. I'm letting others know that so there's no false pretenses with people around me. I've got an environment where they just know I'm, I'm going to be open and honest about my sin. I'm going to be going to the Lord about that. I'm going to be confessing that. I'm going to be trying to change and, and shut down sin and, and walk away from sin, walk in the Spirit. And in that, I, I experience renewal where I'm not struggling with those sins. And now I'm, I'm, I'm resting in Christ now, not my own strength. I'm resting in what Christ has done, what God has done, and what does that do? It produces enjoyment. It produces worship. 
And though that's that process that he process that we've seen over and over. And it brings beautiful, beautiful um, renewal. Spiritual renewal, it's despite your multitude of great sins, he saved you and is saving you. The gospel screams this, you are loved in your very worst moment. You're loved in your very worst act. You're loved in your dirtiest secret. You don't hear that a lot in a church. So what the gospel screams, but a lot of times in church what we hear is, if you ever have any secrets, God won't accept you. If you ever have any dirty, bad moments, God's not going to accept you. So what do we do? We live in self-willpower. We're afraid of grace in this way. You're pursued when you turn your back and run from him. People don't want to hear that from a pulpit. Every one of us is doing that this week. We've been doing that. We've been trying. We don't want to hear that. You're pursued when you treat him as if he's 10th place or as if he doesn't exist. Again, people don't want to hear that from a pulpit. That's dangerous. You're giving people freedom, license to sin. The gospel says you're sinning already. You need to understand grace. You're pursued when you give your heart and soul to other idols, and we do it so easily. And we don't like to hear that. So in closing, the walkaways, are you in a place where you've experienced the first spiritual renewal, salvation? Are you a person who's been saved? That's the first thing. All these things don't apply at all if, if you're not a person who's understood the gospel and been saved. Secondly, have you been participating in union with Christ, ongoing renewal, or your own willpower? Um, again, churches will teach this, this morals list. Churches will teach this, you don't love God enough, guilt and shame. They will teach the supernatural, mystical stuff instead of the gospel of grace. Um, it, it almost sounds foreign to us, especially if I'm super driven or if I'm a little bit OCD or if I'm a little bit legal, if I've got a legalistic bent, it will seem foreign to hear this. Are you desirous of this type of ongoing renewal in this process? And so this morning, I want to give you just some time to, re to respond to that. I'm going to, uh, we're going to do the Lord's Supper next, and then we'll have one closing song. But I want to give you some time just to think through those questions. I want you to think through, um, as we've went through all these, this is our last week in these postures. And I want you to think through those aspects. Am I a person that's, that's that living in, in, in that process of um, conviction? Am I open to conviction of the Holy Spirit? Am I open to um, repentance and confession? Do I have one or two people, an environment where I can be honest before that? We, we just don't have that a lot of times. So right now, first of all, just for you to have some time to go before the Lord to do that. I'm going to give you a, a minute or so to do that, and then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. So I want you to take some time to think through your heart. We're supposed to look at our hearts and assess our hearts um, as we partake of the Lord's Supper. And so I want you to have some time to do that. And there's a warning that goes along that if you're, if you're just not even concerned about your sin and you're partaking of the Lord's Supper, um, then, then there's a danger there. So we're supposed to assess our hearts. And so as we end this summer series on these postures before God, um, I hope that you take these on, not just think of like, oh, that applied that one week. But now this semester, think through that as we're going into the book of Philippians. Let me pray, and then I'll give you a few moments, and then we'll do the Lord's Supper.